Chapter 54 of The Wyvern Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Wyvern Mystery by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter 54 A Drive to Twyford. In less than ten minutes, the doctor came down. Well? said Harry over his shoulder, turning briskly from the window. No material change, replied the doctor. It's not a case in which medicine can do much. The most cheering thing about it is that her strength has not given way. But you know, it is an anxious case. A very anxious case. I hope they are taking care of the child. Old Dulcie Bella Crane would be a deal better for that sort of thing, and that dry old cake Mildred Tarnley. But then Allie would half break her heart if you took old Dulcibella from her, always used to her, you know. And what's best to be done? It would be bad enough to lose poor Allie, but it would be worse to lose the boy. For though I'm willing to take my share of work for the family, there's one thing I won't do, and that's to marry. I'm past the time, and damn me if I take half England to do it. I'd like to manage and nurse the estate for him and be paid, of course, like other fellows, and that's what would fit my knuckle. But by Jove, if they kill that boy, among them there would be no one to maintain the old name of Wyvern, and kill him they will if they leave him in the hard hands of that wiry old girl Mildred Tarnley. She's a cast-iron old maid with a devil's temper and she has a dozen other things to mind beside. And I know the child will die, and I don't know anything to advise. Damn me if I do. The house is in confusion, and very little attention for the child, certainly, said Dr. Willett. And that damned Scarlatina, beyond a doubt, is in the glen there. The old doctor shrugged and shook his head, I talked to the governor a bit, said Harry, thinking he might have the child over to Wyvern, where it would be safe and well looked after, but he hates the whole lot. You know it was a stolen match, and it's no use trying in that quarter. You're going now, and I'll walk a little beside you. Maybe you'll think of something, and I haven't no money, you may guess, to throw away, but rather than the child shouldn't thrive, I'll make out what would answer. That's very kind of you, sir, said Dr. Willett, looking at him admiringly. They certainly have their hands pretty full here, and a little neglect sometimes goes a long way with a child. So they walked out together, talking, and when the doctor got on his horse, Harry walked beside him, part of the way towards Cressley Common. When he came back to the Grange, Harry asked to see old Dulcie Bella, and he told her, standing on the lobby and talking in whispers, The doctor says she's not able to understand anything as she is at present. Well, you know she's wandering just now, but she may clear up a bit for a while by and by. Well, the doctor says she's not to be told a word that can fret her, and particularly about the child, for he says this is no place for it. 
and he won't be answerable for its life if it's left longer here. And there's Scarlatina and Fever all round, and ye have as much as ye can handle here already. So few as there is without nursing children. And Doctor's Willet says he'll have it well attended to by a person near Wickford, and I'll bring old Mildred over with it to the place this evening. And we'll get it out of reach o' the sickness that's going, please God, said Dulcie Bella after a pause. Amen, added Harry, and walked down, whistling low with his hands in his pockets, to tell the same story to old Mildred Tarnley. Tis a pity, she said darkly, the child should be sent away from its home especially with scarlet fever and typhus all round said harry and away from its mother she continued much good its mother is to it just now she mayn't be able to do much oh but she can though interrupted harry she may give it the fever she's got whatever that is well, I can't say nothing else, but it's a pity the child should be took away from its natural home and its own mother, repeated Mrs. Tarnley. And who's taking care of it now? demanded Harry. Lily Dogger, answered she. Lily Dogger, just so, the slut. You said yourself today you wouldn't trust a kitten with. Mrs. Tarnley couldn't deny it. She sniffed and tossed up her chin a little. Ye forget, lass, twas never a wyvern fashion nursing the babbies at home. I wasn't, nor Charlie, poor fellow, nor Willie, nor none of us. Twas a saying with the old folk, and often ye heard it. One year a nurse, and seven years the worse. And we all was tall, well-thriven lads, and lives long, without fever or broken bones or the like floors us untimely. And anyhow, the doctor says, so it must be. There's no one here we all the sickness in the house has time to look after it, and the child will just come to grief unless his orders be followed. So stick on your bonnet and roll up the young chap in blankets, and I'll drive ye over to the place, he says. It brings me a bit out of my way, but kith and kin, you know, and I told the doctor if he went to any expense I'd be answerable to him myself. And I'll gi ye a pound for good luck. So you see, I'm not sich a screw all out as ye took me for. I thank you, Master Harry. And I'll not deny but was always the way we the family to send out the children to nurse. And what Mr. Charles would have done himself if he was alive as every one of us knows, and for that reason what the lady upstairs would have done if she had have been able to talk about anything. I'm sorry I have to drive ye over, but I'll bring ye back tonight. And, you know, I couldn't drive and manage the babby. And the folk would be wondering when the child set up the pipes in the tax cart, and I'd soon have the hue and cry behind me. Hoot! I wouldn't allow no such thing as let the poor little thing be druv so, all alone, like a parcel of shop goods. No, no, 
the family's not come to that yet a bit i hope cried mrs tarnley give me a lump of bread and cheese and a mug of beer i don't think i ever was here before without a bit and a sup and it wouldn't be lucky you know to go without enough to swear by anyhow and there's no hurry mind you needn't be ready for a good hour to come for willet won't have no nurse there sooner harry went out and had a talk with tom clinton smoked his pipe for half an hour and tom thought that the young squire was dull and queerish and perhaps he was not very well for he did not eat his bread and cheese but drank a deal more beer than usual instead bring a lot of lollipops and milk or whatever it likes best we ye to keep it quiet i can't abide the ball and the children lily dogger with red eyes and an inflamed nose blubbered heartbroken and murmured to the baby lest old mildred should overhear and blow her up her leave-takings and endearments as she held it close in her arms beautiful enough to us men utterly mysterious is the feminine love of babies lily dogger had led a serene if not a cheerful life at carwell grange up to this but now came this parting and her peace was shivered old mildred had now got up with her threadbare brown cloak and her grisly old bonnet and had arranged the child on her lap so at last all being ready the tax-cart was in motion it was late in the autumn now the long days were over they had dawdled away a longer time than they supposed before starting it turned out a long drive much longer than mildred tarnley had expected the moon rose and they had got into a part of the country with which she was not familiar they had driven fourteen miles or upward through a lonely and somewhat melancholy country it was i suppose little better than moor but detached groups of trees possibly the broken and disappearing fragments of what had once been a forest gave it a sad sort of picturesqueness mildred tarnley was not a garrulous person and had not spent her life at carwell grange without learning the accomplishment of taciturnity but she remarked and resented the gloomy silence of master harry who had never once addressed a word to her since they started toward the close of their journey she observed that harry fairfield looked frequently at his watch hurried the pace of the mare and altogether seemed to grow more and more anxious they had been obliged to pull up twice to enable her to feed the baby who was now fast asleep tis right she thought he should look ahead and mind his driving while we're getting on though a word now and then would not have troubled him much but when we stopped to feed the child there was no excuse he got down and settled the buckle at the horse's head he got up again and drew the rug over his knees and he leaned on his elbow back upon the cushion and he never so much as asked was me or the baby alive they now reached a gentle hollow in which a shallow brook crossed the road and some four or five habitations of a humble sort stood at either side one under the shade of two gigantic ash-trees 
had a sign depending in front, being a wayside inn of the humblest dimensions. A village this could hardly be termed, and at the near end Harry pulled up before a building a little above the rank of a cottage, old and quaint, with a large leafed plant that in the moonlight looked like a vine growing over the prop of a sort of porch that opened under the gable. If the mare was quiet at the Grange, you may be sure that her run to Twyford had not made her less so. Harry helped old Tarnley down with her little charge in her arms and led her silently into the neat little room with tiers of Delph ornaments and brilliant colors on the cupboard and a Dutch clock ticking in the nook by the fire where some faggots crackled and a candle was burning on the table in a bright brass candlestick. Mrs. Tarnley's experienced eye surveyed the room and its belongings. She decried, moreover, a ladder stair which mounted to a loft, from whose dormant window, as she looked from her seat in the tax cart, she had observed the light of a candle. Very humble it undoubtedly was, but nothing could be more scrupulously clean. It had an air of decency, too, that was reassuring. There was a woman there in a cloak and bonnet who rose as they entered and curtsied. Harry set a lumbering armchair by the fire and beckoned Tarnley to occupy it. Then he asked, How soon is the Warhampton bus expected? Twenty-five minutes, please, sir, answered the woman with another curtsy and a glance at the clock. That woman from Willits is coming by the bus, he said gruffly to Mildred. "'Tis a snug little place, this, and as clean as a bone after a hungry dog. "'Would you mind,' he continued, addressing the stranger or hostess, "'whichsoever she might be, telling Archdale if he's here, "'I want a word wi' him at the door. "'He's over the way, I think, sir, with the horse. "'I'll call him, please, her.' "'So off she went.' This is where poor Charles said he'd like to have his child nursed, Twyford. Tis sweet air about here, considered. He was expecting a babby, poor fellow. And he talked a deal wi' me about it the day he was took. Wouldn't she like a bit to eat and a glass of beer or something? They have lots over the way, for as poor as it looks. And here's the pound, I promise ye, lass. Or luck, you know, when we was leaving the Grange. He drew forth the hand with which he had been fumbling in his pocket and placed the piece of gold in hers. Thank you, Master Harry, she said, making a little instinctive effort to rise for the purpose of executing a curtsy. But Harry, with his hand on her shoulder, repressed it. Sit ye quiet and rest yourself, after jogging all this way. And what's that bundle? The baby's thing, sir. All right. Well, and what will you have? I feel a bit queerish, Master Harry. I thank ye. I'd rather not eat nothing till I gets home. And I'll get my cup of tea then. Not eat? Nothing, sir. I thank ye, Master Harry. Well, said Harry, so far forth relieved, 
but resolved cost what it might to make mildred happy on this particular occasion if ye won't eat i'm hanged but ye shall drink some i tell ye what it shall be a jug of sherry negus come ye must well master harry as so you will have it i'll not say ye nay consented mildred graciously harry went himself to the little pot-house over the way and saw this nectar brewed and brought it over in his own hand the tankard in one hand and the glass in the other devilish good stuff it is mildred and i'm glad old lass i thought of it i remember you liked that brew long ago and much good may it do you girl he was trying to be kind he had set it down on the table and now as he spoke he laid his hand on her shoulder and she thought she might have wronged master harry with his rough jests and shrewd ways and that he had more of the fairfield in his nature than she had always given him credit for out he went again and talked with archdale who was in plain clothes and a round hat with a great coat buttoned up to his smooth blue chin and a gig-whip in his hand archdale as usual was severely placid and brief and as harry talked with him outside mildred tarnley thought she heard a step in the loft over her head and another sound that excited her curiosity she listened but all was quiet again harry returned in comparatively high spirits well mrs tarnley said he the bus is a bit late i'm thinking but anyhow he can't wait and he pointed over his shoulder at mr archdale who stood at the door he'll drive you back again and he knows the road as far as cressley common and you can show him the rest and you'll want to be back again with poor alice and the doctor will look in here often in the week almost every day and tell you how the little chap's going on and see here's a very respectable woman what's her name she was here this minute and she won't be leaving till after the bus comes in and you leave her the baby and i'll wait here till i see it in charge of the nurse that's coming from wickford come in will ye not you the woman i mean now mildred give her the baby the woman had a gentle cheerful and honest face and looked down with the angelic light of a woman's tenderness on the sleeping face of the little baby lord love it she murmured smiling what a darling little face mildred tarnley looked down on it too she said nothing she bit her lips hard and her old eyes filled with tears it welled over as she surrendered the baby without a word and then hastily she went out mounted to her seat in the tax-cart and was driven swiftly away by a companion as silent as he who had conveyed her there end of chapter fifty four recording by john brandon